Are you ready for an episode of the lifestyles of the rich and famous? Oh, Lord, I know what you're doing. Or maybe we could listen to Roxette's Fading Like a Flower. This madness really has to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Or we could catch an episode of our favorite game show, Family Feud. Tina, bring me the axe. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fine, fine. I guess when it comes to puns about Faye, we'll just have to Dunaway with them. Oh, keep it up. And I'm going to invite Faye Dunaway into the podcast studio to slap you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in case you haven't figured it out by now, today we're talking fucking Faye Dunaway. But you won't find any Mommy Dearest, Network, or Bonnie and Clyde's here today. No, instead we're talking about some of her off-the-beaten-path performances. Maybe you'll like Faye Dunaway as the deranged and demanding CEO of a cookie company. Ooh, or as an impish, husband-stealing, horse-riding vixen who can whip the shirt right off of you. Sounds good to me. But that's just the tip of the Dunaway iceberg. You ready to get this podcast show on the road? I think it's fainally time. Oh, mother of pearl. <laughs> Let's begin. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, nobody is named Faye anymore. I mean, how many Faye's can you actually name? Faye Ray, wasn't that the lady that was snatched up from King Kong? Yes, the King Kong. Yeah, uh-huh. the, the one person, the one Faye older than <laughs> the other <laughs> Oh, you mean a recent Faye. <laughs> and Faye Go, the soda, doesn't count. <laughs> oh, damn it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really, I really can't think of any other Faye's. Oy. Well, welcome to this episode of the Pop Trash Podcast. I'm Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. Each episode, we take a pop topic and trash talk it, but with love, of course. And love, well, you don't have to say you love me, so long as you let me quote the Barbara Streisand song, Prisoner, the love theme from (laughs) the eyes of Laura Mars. (laughs) The love theme from the eyes of Laura Mars. It is the thing I like saying most of all right now. (laughs) It is just so strange and I can't wait to talk about it. How about you? (laughs) Yes, one of the movies we'll be talking about today, The Eyes of Laura Mars. Uh, But before we get into this episode, maybe let's take a quick moment to explain why Faye Dunaway? I mean, this season has loosely been dubbed Expect the Unexpected. And frankly, has there been anyone who's had more unexpected headlines and Hollywood stories than Faye Dunaway? Um, sure. I, I'm sure there are, but I, today, no. <laughs> she, she definitely is a firecracker. I don't know. How would you describe Faye Dunaway? Kind of this odd vestige of somebody who existed at like the era of like golden Hollywood, maybe just sort of toward the tail end of it, who through several incredible performances in the six, late sixties, early seventies, right? Bonnie and Clyde, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chinatown network became this just all encompassing, like juggernaut kind of like the Catherine Hepburn of her era. And then more or less, I wouldn't say like goes off a cliff, but becomes much more well-known for, you know, firecracker behavior on sets Mm -hmm. or taking bad projects or campy roles or bad roles and just kind of becoming 
not necessarily like a villain, but somebody that people stop looking at as if they're the greatest actress of a generation and more look at like, oh, they're the next Razzie Award nominee. I think that's spot on. There were points in the movies that when I was watching them that I thought to myself, is she a good actress? And I wonder if, like you're saying, it's just these kind of later career performances when you've reached the pinnacle and you kind of believe your own hype. I wondered if that a lot of that was going on because I can remember some amazing earlier performances by her, right? And and so I was starting to question, was she always kind of this campy, larger than life, uh, the headlines kind of trump her actual acting? I don't know. I mean, I think she's done a little bit dirty in Hollywood history and among the tabloids. Sure, I mean, it's yeah. definitely not to dismiss the massive allegations of like bad treatment on set and wild behavior and snappy, bitchy comments or whatever. So who's one of the worst people you know in Hollywood? That I worked with? Or that you wouldn't want to work with again? If you don't, you don't have to comment one, on that. One million dollars fades on the way. <laughs> Everybody you can put into this chair will tell you exactly the same thing. <laughs> What is it about Miss Dunaway that makes her... Well, she's just totally impossible. Really? Yes. I don't think we have the time to go into all the reasons. But, like, I do think the arc of her story sort of... And we're not talking about Mommy Dearest today, but I almost see the arc of her story, like, hinging on Mommy Dearest being seen at the time as such a bad, campy, like, lowbrow sort of career move uh, and... I don't know that like she ever recovered from the perception that that movie was a bad choice or or a bad decision or a bad performance or it I don't know it feels like that catapulted her into a very different category of actress than what she had been previously in the 70s and late 60s. You think that was the turning point maybe? Maybe, and I don't think that's necessarily fair, especially when you look at the fact that Mommy Dearest today is seen as such a cult classic. Everybody yeah. can quote that movie. It is celebrated in movie theaters every year. Uh-huh. It is just now such a staple of camp pop culture that right. I don't think it doesn't feel fair that that movie was what sort of kickstarted a, a, a bit of a, an era of Faye Dunaway where she was seen as like, less than or not as you know not at her glory so to speak which i'm sure had an effect on the role she got offered and the the decision she had to make and all of that kind of stuff again not to excuse the personal stuff i'm sure there's some bad behavior that also resulted in some you know career shenanigans and and stuff but like to me at least I see her as like this arc of somebody who was winning awards getting in these big movies starring with these big stars and then you know, if you look at the the sort of the screen credits and the the tabloid headlines over the last like 35, 40 years, it's just a very different arc. I wonder if you would ask her what she would want to be remembered for, what role it would be. Well, she probably kicked you in the nuts well, first. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. Go get me a chai. <laughs> we talked last episode about second acts and where do you go when your star is on the wane. And so a lot of what you're talking about kind of is getting at that when you've been larger than life and an Oscar winner, like there's nowhere to go but down in some respects, right? And so if you want to keep working, you choose these projects when maybe like one of the movies we're going to talk about today, maybe you're not the star, um, but it, it is, it's a good juicy role. And so you take it. 
Um, I know later in life, she tried to dip her toe in sitcoms with Robert Urich in a short-lived series, It Had to Be You, which is surprisingly very hard to find. I cannot find episodes online to watch because I would love to watch this. I don't remember it first run. And you're in thrift stores every weekend looking for VHS tapes. I <laughs> sure am. Somebody had to record it off, off the TV. <laughs> you know, she won the Oscar in, what, 77 or 78 for Network, and every movie we're talking about today falls after that so maybe you're right maybe let this be a lesson for you actors out there you know you win the oscar it's all downhill from there (laughs) (laughs) just ask Halle Berry (laughs) didn't she do Catwoman right after her oscar I mean it it comes down to what next (laughs) (laughs) well so let's jump into it we're about to talk about four movies today in a little bit of a different format than you might be used to on the pop trash podcast uh we're going to open it up of course with the earliest movie it's 1978's eyes of laura mars as we referenced a bit ago but then we're going to take a little bit of a journey and i watched a movie from the 80s a wicked lady eric watched a movie from the 80s supergirl we're going to just see which one maybe turned out a little better and then we're going to end by jumping into the 1990s and looking at the cult classic the temp We're back in 1978, and it's not the ears, it's not the lips, it's not the nose or the pancreas, it's the (laughs) eyes of Laura Mars. Now that I want to (laughs) see. And what is there to say? I mean, Faye Dunaway has some killer eyes, or at least some killer visions, as she plays a New York City fashion photographer named Laura Mars, who develops the clairvoyant ability to visualize serial murders from the point of view (laughs) of the killer. Ooh, I'm ready. I'm ready for Faye Dunaway's visions. The poster taglines say, she saw all life through the camera's eye. Then she suddenly saw death. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that tagline and I thought, oh, Faye Dunaway works at Ritz Camera. (laughs) (laughs) Or the one hour photo booth. It kind of reminds me of like when you in the 90s were like, I'm going to pursue photography. And your parents were like, is that a career? Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, well, everyone has a camera, dear. (laughs) And it just got worse. (laughs) What did you think of Laura Mars? Laura Mars, I really wanted to like it because the tagline, right, the plot summary, but you also have a script written by probably the king of horror over the last 50 years, John Carpenter. I thought this was going to be a home run, a grand slam, something that like just completely engrosses you the second you put it on. It wasn't quite that for me, but I will say I did feel transported to the late 1970s in New York City. There are some great scenes of New York City in this. And I will say there's some suspenseful beats that happen and, you know, it feels good. It's maybe not a taut thriller in the way that it, it was billed, but it's decent enough to watch. You will leave with some memorable shots and hey, you get a hunky Tommy Lee Jones in this. <laughs> yeah, he's young in this, um, but still 100% Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, I also felt the same way. I think like the premise was the selling point here. I think John Carpenter came up with a really interesting idea and they never 
kind of explain why she's getting these supernatural visions. It's just left to be, this is happening and what if, and, and then what happens? I, I love that a lot. I remember watching this many years ago and the first time I watched it, I really, really loved it. This time, it felt like diminishing returns. It just didn't feel as good. Like you said, it was a little slow. Well, it's interesting about John Carpenter. So he did write the original script, but this kind of went through a number of changes. And at least allegedly, he wanted nothing to do with this by the end. No, Honestly, well, that makes this sense. came yeah. out in the summer of 1978. And several months later, he had his first movie, Halloween, which just set his career in motion. So I don't think he holds any, you know, any sour notes to <laughs> to this. But yeah, it's kind of cool to see sort of like an early an idea from John Carpenter kind of take the screen. This was actually a box office success. It made $20 million domestically, way more than its budget. And at the, in 1978, that's considered success. Yeah. It wasn't sort of beloved by the critics. And then Mad Magazine did a parody of this <laughs> of that course. they called The Eyes of Lurid Mess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mad Magazine, how I miss you. <laughs> we mentioned the uh, the love theme for this movie by Barbara Streisand, Prisoner. From what I know, rumor has it that the reason she's singing this theme song is she was in talks to be cast as Laura Mars. I don't know why she backed out or why it didn't happen, but she had already recorded the theme song. Right? You are right about that. So uh, two things. She was dating, I think, one of the producers or somebody in the production of this. And yes, it was originally supposed to be Barbara Streisand as Laura Mars, but she thought the script was too kinky in her words. If Babs was in the role, what a different movie. And, and one thing I noticed man, Faye Dunaway just does that moan scream throughout the movie. And I that was the point where I was like, is she a good actor? And like, she's definitely playing the, the horror of having these visions and her friends being killed and everything. But it is just that constant scream. But what I'm trying to do is give a, a, an account of the times in which I'm living. I can't stop it. I can show it. I can make people look at it. Thank you. All right, we're jumping ahead to the 80s, 1983, 1984. Uh, so this is the segment we're doing differently. So I watched a movie, A Wicked Lady. Eric watched a movie, Supergirl. Neither of us watched the one that the other one watched. So we're kind of, I guess, I don't know, doing our sales pitch here. Which is better or which is worse? Who will win? <laughs> and which prize is it? <laughs> you get an Omegahedron. <laughs> is that good? Uh, no, that is the uh, world power source from Supergirl that she goes to Earth to save. <laughs> I know that you didn't know that because you didn't watch this. You had to have watched Supergirl. You told me that Supergirl was two and a half hours long, and I said, nope, I'll watch the other one. <laughs> no, but I mean, growing up, you had to have seen I don't it, think right? so. Back, back in the day, you did not? Come on. I don't think so. Wow. But I feel like it was, you know, in the mix of the blockbuster rentals and 80s superhero movies, it was a flop for sure. They were going to do many, many more, but they didn't because it performed so badly. I don't remember it. I just wasn't a superhero person growing up, so, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, some sometimes you just throw me for a loop. <laughs> well, did you see a wicked lady growing up? No, I mean, <laughs> well, I don't know. There were ladies everywhere. How did you miss it? <laughs> were they wicked? Well, why don't we start here? I'll give you the plot of a wicked lady, and you tell me if this would captivate you to watch it. Are you ready? Oh, okay. All right. Okay. For some reason, we've got Faye Dunaway traveling to what appears to be the English countryside in the 17th century. Oh, okay. She doesn't have a British accent. Must have been in a year before they developed their accent. (laughs) But (laughs) Faye Dunaway plays Barbara, a stunning vixen who travels to a castle to attend the wedding of her sister Caroline to Sir Ralph. But sensing an opportunistic moment... Faye Dunaway's Barbara swoops in and seduces Sir Ralph and marries him instead. Alas, she gets bored with being a wealthy castle wife and decides to turn to highway robbery. Wow. (laughs) It really is kind of like a a period piece meets a Western caper. Uh, And and you really do. What a genre. That's the next season for the Pop Trash podcast. That section in the library has... Just this DVD. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. When that synopsis started, it felt like a movie in my younger years I would be forced to watch by my sister, like Sense and Sensibility. It's like, oh, you got to watch this period drama. And I would begrudgingly like it, you know, but it would never be something I would pick. (laughs) And then the last 45 minutes when Elizabeth decides to rob a bank. (laughs) Yeah, then I'm in. Yeah, it it turns into a caper. What? (laughs) Are there Muppets involved? (laughs) (laughs) There are Muppets, but man, there are a ton of boobs. It might as well be part of the Meatballs franchise. (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> National Lampoon's Faye Dunaway's vacation. <laughs> it is wild. Literally, the opening scene is like two farm peasants, like completely going at it in a barn, and you just see boobs <laughs> flopping everywhere. And you're like, what movie am I watching? <laughs> Believe it or not, the movie was almost rated X. And that's because there is a scene where Faye Dunaway. And, you know, after she gets bored being a castle wife and goes into highway robbery, she gets into a whip fight with another woman. And the tussle results in Faye Dunaway whipping the clothes off of the other woman. Whip it good. I mean, (laughs) I don't, this is strange. Like, why would she take this role? Did you ask yourself that question? This would be after Mommy Dearest. It was after Mommy Dearest. It was the first movie after Mommy Dearest. And that's Ah. actually why she took the role, because she wanted something lighter. And she's on record as saying this. This is the only film I've ever enjoyed making. Really? So it goes back to, like I said, what would you be most proud of? So whipping the clothes off. (laughs) (laughs) I will say it did not, it did not do well at the box office. It was, it only made, I think like 750,000 total. uh, So which on like a $15 million budget. So you'll, um, it got Faye Dunaway, another Razzie. Uh, We haven't really mentioned that yet, but like Faye Dunaway, explodes with Razzie nominations uh, after she wins her Oscar in 77. So you think I would like this one? Uh, I wouldn't go that far, (laughs) but I don't think it would be the worst thing you've watched for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, knowing you and from what you've just said right now, I do not think you would like Supergirl at all. (laughs) You have, you know, waning interest in superhero movies to begin with. And this one is just... It's not one of the best. The synopsis is, after losing a powerful orb, 
I just mentioned. It's called the Omegahedron, which I love that word. It's a great word. Bless you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Kara Zorel, who is Superman's cousin, comes to Earth to retrieve that orb because it powers her whole city. And instead, she finds herself battling up against this wicked witch named Selena, who is played by Faye Dunaway. Ooh. So the big bad, the big villain is Faye Dunaway in this. And I got to say, she looks phenomenal in this. She has like this coppery, curly hair that's larger than life. She's in these like sparkly muumuu gown, <laughs> you know, caftan things that are just like very high fashion, but I guess witchy. She's a part of this kind of coven trio, I don't know, between Brenda Vaccaro and Peter Cook. And they are like the three stooges of villains. But as Selena, Faye Dunaway, gains more power from this orb, she becomes like a bigger actual badass witch instead of just this kind of like witch in training, like wannabe witch, which is kind of an interesting, cool trajectory. She's kind of like this loser, but becomes powerful based on this thing but there are parts of this movie that just don't make sense which part of a witch who inherits a powerful orb <laughs> doesn't make sense to you? <laughs> oh it's based in reality <laughs> the script was so bad christopher reeve was supposed to make a cameo but he he was like nope i'm not i'm not doing this and <laughs> In the movie, they somebody turns on the radio and they're like, Superman is off planet battling blah, 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 to explain like why he wouldn't show up. <laughs> his cousin is there. It turns out he had an orthodontist appointment today. <laughs> basically, basically. <laughs> I don't know. That plot you just gave sounds a little bit like Vanna White's Goddess of Love TV movie. <laughs> oh, oh, it's, it's, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. If I had your skin problems, I'd stop bothering people, put a bag over my head and go live under a bridge. Faye Dunaway's diva behavior on the set and her like lack of punctuality, all the delays she was causing. At one point, the producers were so fed up. Apparently, she was spoken to and told she was not irreplaceable and was very close to being fired. And they were thinking of replacing her with Angelica Houston or Jane Fonda. Oh. And apparently, the role was also offered to Dolly Parton, but she said she wouldn't. She wouldn't play a witch. But I will say, she did a great job as a villainess. She committed to the material. She camped out and was larger than life. And just what you would expect from like how Jack Nicholson's performance of the Joker is like script aside and her diva behavior aside. Also, she knew the assignment and she really delivered this comic book villain role. I love that. I thought that was really good. Well, that's, that's my point with Faye Dunaway is that like, she doesn't, she always delivers whether the material is good or not. Like, I don't know that there's ever a movie I've watched where I'm like, okay, I don't know. I can, I can see what she's doing. And it's like, she's eating up the scene, which is, you know, some people just do that. She did get a Razzie nomination for Supergirl. I know that again. So it's like a wicked lady Razzie nomination the next year, Supergirl, a Razzie nomination. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Based on everything you said there, would I watch this? I would put it on in the background while I'm making dinner. Oh, you'd be so mad how long it is. Apparently they kept finding footage of this years and years later. They found just an unmarked canister of film that said, do not use. And it was like <laughs> all these other film scenes of Supergirl that I think apparently showed up in a director's cut. I wonder if a lot of this was, they shot a lot and they cut it down and it was like, 
messed up in the editing room or was it always just going to be a bad movie? All right, listeners. Well, tell us which movie you'd pick. A Wicked Lady, Supergirl. Who wins this Faye Dunaway showdown? All right, well, we hit the 70s of Faye Dunaway. We hit the 80s of Faye Dunaway. Now let's jump to the 90s of Faye Dunaway, and we are going to talk about The Temp. Plot summary is pretty simple. We got, I guess, a yuppie businessman played by Timothy Hutton who works for a cookie company, and that cookie company is led by CEO Faye Dunaway. <laughs> Not just any cookie company, Mrs. Applebee's cookies. <laughs> yeah, it was very confusing because in some of the parts of the movie, they would leave off the Mrs. and they would just call it Applebee's. It's <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> Not to be confused with everybody's favorite neighbor. But yeah, so Faye Dunaway plays the CEO of this cookie company. Timothy Hutton is like a an overworked, stressed out executive. Timothy Hutton's character is a assistant has to go away for a bit to, I think, take care of his wife. They're having a baby. Yeah, they're They're having having a baby. And so he gets replaced with a temp, hence the title. And that temp is played by Laura Flynn Boyle and what must be about 3,000 of the most insane wigs (laughs) you will ever see an actress wear in a movie. The wigs are so bad. She looked different and was in a different wig in every scene. I even think there were some scenes that cut away and cut back, and she was in a completely different wig. (laughs) I honestly, whoever was the wig director on this set, I hope you got paid handsomely because you must have had the card around. 50 suitcases of wigs because every scene and it it is like the hair pops off the screen like jaws 3d it is just like (laughs) oh it's weird sometimes it's curly sometimes it's down sometimes it's up and you always know it's a wig it's never like oh i just styled my hair differently well and therein maybe there's something there because the temp's entire premise is that laura flynn's boyle character the temp who comes into the office might be is evil because a whole bunch of executives start dying the second she shows up. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know she's deranged when she says things like, Peter, Peter, cookie eater, had a temp and couldn't keep her. (laughs) Brilliant. That is a Pulitzer right there. This movie has some just incredible lines. We should maybe take a beat to say like both of us really like this movie. (laughs) Oh, I love this. I cannot more highly recommend this movie. It's it's one of those 90s movies that where did they go? Why, Why did they not keep making these types of movies? It's like in the vein of, the hand that rocks the cradle, those types of movies. Yeah. Oh, well, it's funny you say that because this movie is sort of billed as like a yuppie paranoia thriller, like a single white female or the hand that rocks the cradle. Mm-hmm. It, it is not to me. Those movies are very different. This movie is camp, like with the gas pedal floored and driving off the cliff like it is it is so campy but there is really just like a it's fun it keeps your interest and man the 90s-ness of this like watching them in a workplace uh is just brilliant there's one scene when laura flynn boyle's character the temp is first on the first on the scene and has to help timothy hutton's character get a report up to faye dunaway's office 
And it is like they're scrambling, but there's a line at the copy machine. <laughs> so, oh, no. Yeah. Fax machines, the paper shredders. All I could think of was like, man, working in an office prior to the internet, what a world. Oh, it took, it took <laughs> me back. I even wrote down scheduling appointment book. I was like, oh, right. That was a thing. We all had little planners that had your time of the day marked off and you would write meetings in it. That was a physical object that we all had. Those are lost to history. But this this movie preserved it. Right. And Faye Dunaway is the CEO of this cookie company. My favorite was like, that was the revolutionary idea they pitched that like, we're going to put them in an old timey limited edition glass cookie jar. And they're like, all right, we've cornered the market. We're rolling out oatmeal raisin. And I was like, are you kidding me? The <laughs> last cookie pick on the tray is oatmeal raisin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this movie, the temp Laura Flynn Boyle comes in, I guess, in order to like advance her career, starts plotting the death of all of these people and and or their downfall. Faye Dunaway has some great lines in this. So she plays the CEO of this cook of Mrs. Appleby's cookies. <laughs> and <laughs> like after all these people start dying and she's in a meeting and she goes, um, in case you haven't noticed, we're running out of executives around here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it definitely did lean into the camp. But the thing is, is it's like it's supposed to be a thriller. It's tongue in cheek. I mean, I don't know this to be true, but I hope they were in on the joke. There's literally a line where someone goes, lighten up. We're in the cookie business. But again, you and I, I think we love this. Sadly, Faye Dunaway hated this movie. Did you know that? Oh, no. I guess that's how the cookie crumbled. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. If you want more of whatever this is, you can find us over on poptrashmuseum.com. And we're also on that garbage heap we all call social media. Please like and follow the Pop Trash Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And give us a short review while you're there. Until next time, remember to get to the Xerox machine early to avoid the crazy lines. Copy that. Ugh, fade to black. (laughs) 